if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning, seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're ready to roll here on AM 1420. The answer, it is uh, the seventh morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. And we've got a nice show lined up for you today. Coming up in about a half an hour, we are going to talk about the fight for you to maintain your constitutional rights and your constitutional freedoms against any prospect of a quote-unquote vaccine passport here in the state of Ohio. Several governors have already pledged there will be no vaccine passports in their states, including Texas and Missouri, both just announced yesterday. Silence from the bespectacled buffoon down in Columbus. Silence from the little Napoleonic tyrant known as Governor Mike DeWine. No commentary whatsoever on um, the idea of vaccine passports being required in this state. So it may be up to the legislature to take action. It may be up to the Ohio General Assembly to do what they did with SB 22, which we will talk about. There's news on that this morning as well. But to do it on their own, to ban, to put forth legislation banning both public and private, vaccine passport requirements, and then have enough votes to override the certain Mike DeWine veto that would follow. It's probably going to come down to that. And what does that mean for you and me? It means we've got to get off of our rear ends and get some work done. And that means getting in touch with each and every one of our representatives and senators, if not bombarding the governor's office itself, to make sure that we can indeed stop such an unconstitutional train wreck from happening. So that's my way of leading into what's coming up at 9.35. Attorney Tom Renz, who runs, Renz runs, how about that? Tom Renz, who uh, has founded and organized and leads Ohio Stands Up, which is online at ohiostandsup.org. And I tell you this twice a day, every day, that we need you to join ohiostandsup.org. I am a member, you should be a member, and I donate, and you should donate to Ohio Stands Up, because Tom Renz and his team of attorneys is fighting this uh, war on three battlefronts, educationally, politically, and judicially. You're going to have to win some court fights in this to uh, get our rights back. 
And Tom Renz will join us to talk about how they plan to fight the vaccine passport idea in Ohio. That'll be at 9.35 this morning. Tom will be our only guest, so there'll be plenty of opportunities for you to talk at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. But before we even think about doing any of that, what do you say we pause for the pledge? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And to the republic for which it stands. The real question is, is how long will the republic stand? And the answer to that is not forever. Not if we lose the sacrosanct right that we have to voting uh, secure voter security and the integrity of our elections and that's where we start again today this is going to continue to be the top story until it is resolved and this is an outright attack on our republic by way of attacking our electoral system by way of making sure that there is no security when it comes to the vote that anyone who wants to vote can vote whether they're a citizen and thus eligible or not that anyone who wants to vote can vote, whether or not they're convicted felons or not. That anyone who wants to vote more than once can vote more than once because we have no way of, of uh, ensuring who they are and where they have voted previously and what their, their address is and what their correct voting precinct is, etc., etc., etc. This will continue to be the fight for a very, very long time. I'm going to start you today with audio of the governor, or excuse me, rather, the mayor of Denver, Colorado, who is giddy this morning. Giddy! Because his city, which sits in a state that has more restricting, uh, more restrictive voting laws than the laws just passed by the state of Georgia, is being rewarded for their voting laws by Major League Baseball. It's been a long year. And I can think of nothing more energizing to help advance our recovery and to boost our economy than by bringing the 2021 Midsummer Classic back to the Mile High City. So we are going to boost our economy. We are going to fuel our recovery with the money that is going to be generated by the All-Star Game. That's just super. Good for you, Denver. But it should be pointed out to everybody that's got a working cerebral cortex how incredibly racist it is. And I say that only partially tongue-in-cheek. Because this is the beauty of this. This is, this is, the, this is the, the beauty of the, the left. If you haven't noticed, MLB, which stands for Major League Baseball, is the exact inverse of BLM, which stands for Black Lives Matter, right? MLB, BLM. They're literally the reverse of one another. Why is that important? Because Major League Baseball said they were pulling the All-Star game out of Georgia to help black people. Because in their mind, black people aren't going to have the same right to vote as white people in Georgia because, well, black people you know, don't know how to get IDs. You know the story by now. So MLB pulled the All-Star game from a majority black city of Atlanta 
and gave it to a majority white city in Denver, Colorado. That means all of the economic growth that you just heard the Georgia mayor t- or uh, the Denver mayor talking about, all of the economic growth, the economic stimulus, the rebound from all of the devastation caused by the t- pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, is going to be realized by a city with a 76% white majority. Denver is 76% white. Atlanta is 51% black. So this Major League Baseball, which is supposed to be helping black people with this move, is going to cost black business owners and black employees and black contractors in the city of Atlanta a, a, a strong majority going to cost them $100 million in revenue, and they're going to give it to the 76% white city of Denver, Colorado. So this is why I did the MLB BLM thing. It's perfect. MLB is the exact reverse of BLM, and that makes sense, since MLB just reversed $100 million of economic revenue from going to majority black Atlanta and gave it to majority white Denver. Just brilliant, Democrats. As you may know, we had actually submitted a bid along with the Rockies to host the All-Star Game sometime down the road. We were looking at 2024 as a target year. But when Major League Baseball reached out last week, we couldn't say no. All that advanced planning that Matthew and Visit Denver and the Sports Commission had done came in handy, and we are definitely ready to go. Hosting this event is about so much more than the home run derby or the game itself. There will be plenty of uh, week uh, of events, activities for the whole family throughout downtown Denver, and volunteer opportunities for nearly 2,000 people. And those benefits are far beyond, or will last far beyond July. By some estimates, this event will mean more than $100 million impact to our local economy. That's incredibly good news for our small businesses, our restaurants, our hotels, and our workers who have struggled and suffered through this pandemic. There's the money line. Literally, there's the money line. By some estimates, this event will mean more than $100 million of impact to our local economy, which is incredibly good news for our small businesses, our restaurants, our hotels, and our workers. Though The only word he left out of there was, White. Incredibly good news for our white small businesses, our white restaurants, our white hotels, and our white workers. Because Denver is 76% white. Which means that it's terribly bad news for the black small business owners, the black restaurant owners, the black hotel owners and managers, and the black workers who lost this in the city of Atlanta over a voting law that is almost identical and, in fact, is not as restrictive as the one in 76% white Denver or, by uh, on a larger scale, the entire state of Colorado. MLB, the reverse of BLM. So I should point out the obvious here. I shouldn't have to, but I should, that it shouldn't matter that Denver is 76% white and it shouldn't matter that Atlanta is 50, 51% black that it's a majority-minority city. It shouldn't matter at all. And to me, as a conservative, it doesn't. But it needs to be pointed out because the party and the movement 
of destruction of this republic sees the race issue as the number one defining issue in literally every circumstance. That they, as big government, need to provide for black Americans first and foremost. We need to accelerate and put affirmative action on steroids. We need to make sure that black businesses get free money. We need to see that black workers get this, black students get this special protection, and on and on down the line, because this is their new mantra. Continue to create and expand and grow racial division by setting racial fires in every American city. And that's only partially um, uh, literal, or rather partially figurative. Some of it is liberal, uh, literal, where the fires will blaze. But I mean that in mostly a figurative way where we continue to set the racial flames, become racial arsonists between blacks and whites to create hatred and anger and animosity. They're the ones who see, see race everywhere. And in their core course of action of trying to help black people and black businesses and so on and so forth, they literally just did the opposite here. They are harming black workers and business owners in Atlanta in favor of whites in Denver. And they don't even see the irony. That's the sad, pathetic truth here. They don't see the irony. Governor Brian Kemp continues to do the media tour uh, explaining the reality of the situation, that Joe Biden is a liar, that Joe Biden and everybody who is trying to tell you that this is a somehow race-based law trying to suppress black votes in um, uh, the city of Georgia, they're just lying, and the consequences are going to be harsh again for the people of Georgia. Well, number one, President Biden's lying to the American people and to our own citizens here in Georgia. I, I, I just uh, laugh to myself, Maria, when he's talking about we need to smarten up. I mean, look at his own state of Delaware. They actually call your name out before you go vote in the precinct so people could challenge you. Could you imagine if we had that in our law? I mean, the world would be falling apart right now. He needs to focus on his own state and not worry about Georgia. This bill makes it easy to vote and hard to cheat. We're doing away with the signature match process and then implementing voter ID on absentee ballots. We're securing ballot drop boxes that were never in the law before this year. We're making elections officials count continuously until every vote is counted so you don't have disruptions that brings doubt. And, um, you know, it's just good common sense, election security, making it easy to vote, but hard to cheat. And that's exactly what it should do. That's exactly the goal. It should be of every state, make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. And yet the city of, of Atlanta, the state of Georgia is being canceled. And indeed by some of the giant corporations that call Georgia home. And as Governor Kemp said, these businesses, these companies, they just folded because of cancel culture. Yeah, that's exactly. They, they folded like a wet dish rag to the cancel culture. I mean, it is woke in, in real life, and Americans and Georgians should be scared. I mean, what event are they going to come after next? You know, what value do you have the way that you live their, your life are they coming after next? Are they going to come after your small business Next, because that's who's getting screwed here, Maria. It's the small business people that would have profited from the all-star game, uh, being at Truist Park at the home of the Atlanta Braves. And now they're moving to Colorado. Uh, a little audio glitch there, and that's okay. We'll take a pause here for our uh, timeout anyway. So Governor Kemp is, is 100% right. 
this cancel culture is coming for Georgia right now. And if you think, hey, Bob, we're in Ohio, why do I care about that? You better believe it is coming for you next. You don't think this is going to spread? This corporate pressure from wild, radical Marxists who are trying to overtake this country? You don't think they're coming for your companies because we're in Ohio and not Georgia? You don't think they're coming for your rights? You better. You, Joe Biden is right about one thing. You better, quote, smarten up. That's really awkward and ugly phrasing. It's kind of stupid sounding. But you better smarten up. Not in the way Joe Biden says, but literally because of what Joe Biden and the far left are doing. We'll be right back. I wonder if you can finally come out and say to the people what the Democratic Party really is. It is really the ACP, the American Communist Party. They have no longer the Democratic Party. Look at everything they've done. They've done everything that qualifies them as a communist. I think you can make a case for that call and that uh, that comment. Uh, that message came in via our authority message line. You can always call it at 216-525-1806. Even when we're not on the air, we will respond to good messages. We'll play them on the air. And, yeah, because what they are doing right now in terms of trying to destroy our electoral system, and I've said this before, and I don't want to beat it into the ground too much here, but what's going on in Georgia and how they're trying to punish the legislature of Georgia It's really an attempt not to just punish Georgia, but to call the sheep, uh, to, you know, to the, uh, to the slaughterhouse here, trying to get people to say, yeah, that's not fair. That's not fair what they did in Georgia. Maybe we shouldn't let state legislatures like Georgia get, uh, uh, make the decisions on how voting is conducted. We should probably do that at the federal level. In other words, let's shame Georgia generate outrage, and thus put pressure on um, American senators to pass H.R. 1. H.R. 1, of course, is House Resolution 1. That's the For the People Act already passed by the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives now sitting before the uh, United States Senate. And it is, I don't know how to say it other than, than how to say it, it is imperative for the future and the survival of this republic that it be defeated. Um, we know it's 50-50 in the Senate. We know that Kamala Harris gives them the majority because she will cast the tie-breaking vote for the Democrats. Um, and there has to be one brave, courageous senator, just one, just one, that says, no, I'm not going to vote for this. I'm not going to vote to take away the uh, founding fathers' intent, which was to have each state set its own election laws and its own election policies. I'm not going to take that away from them so that we can federalize all elections and thus have one-party rule in perpetuity. It takes one senator. And this is how they pressure all of those senators to go along with the, uh, you know, with the uh, destruction of the republic. You know, that caller said they're communists. Democrats are towing that line. They're towing that line of communism, Marxism, socialism. And they're really, really obviously tipping and leaning toward going over that line. If they win the right to conduct all elections at the federal level, where voting is is uh, allowed by anybody with a pulse, and even by many who don't have a pulse, 
Quite literally, that happens too. Legal or illegal in this country, in prison or free in this country, by mail, by a drop box, with ballot harvesting, with illegal counting, with paused counting overnight, with uh, corruptible voting systems, electronic voting systems, does not matter what it is, we will have no way to stop it in our individual states if H.R. 1 passes. So what this bill, rather, yeah, this bill, H.R. 1, sitting before the Senate, does now is it essentially determines the future of this republic. And that's why I'm going to continue to hammer this every day until it resolves itself, until it is H.R. 1 is defeated, um, and until, of course, we make sure that we have protections in place so that we don't become the next Georgia, so that we don't become canceled, because we simply want to protect voter integrity here in the state of Ohio. All right, uh, it's 9.30. We'll get our newscast now. On the other side, I told you what's coming. Vaccine passports. They're coming to some states. They are being banned by governors and others. Guess which state is not among them to have a governor strong enough to stand up and say there will be no vaccine passports in Ohio. That would be this one. Attorney Tom Renz, representing Ohio Stands Up, online at ohiostandsup.org, will join us next to discuss. Okay, 936, let's continue on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll come back to voting uh, a little bit later, but I want to pivot now to the state of Ohio. I posted something on my Facebook page right now, which I'm still ashamed to admit that I have. It's just that that's where I have my most followers, and I have a bigger reach there, despite its um, uh, shadow banning and so on and so forth. But I posted this picture with a headline uh, of... uh, um, a picture of uh, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, with the headline, Breaking Texas Bans Vaccine Passports. I combine that with a new story I saw last night that the governor of Missouri has pledged the same thing, banning vaccine passports. That's fantastic. The question is, is where's Mike DeWine? Why no announcement that there will be no vaccine passports in the state of Ohio? Dr. Fauci said, not that he makes policy, but he's on the team and in the rooms, he said that there will likely not be a federal vaccine passport. Um, so some states are acting. The federal government, it looks like they're not going to make it mandatory. But does that mean we're out of the woods here in the state of Ohio? Number one, no, because Mike DeWine has not said anything about it from the governor's office. And number two, we still have a potential issue involving private entities. And joining us now to talk about what has to be done to stop both public and private mandatory vaccinations in order for access to various facilities and uh, uh, to engage in commerce is uh, Tom Renz, attorney Tom Renz, who is the founder and the leader of Ohio Stands Up. I tell you about it twice a day at ohiostandsup.org. Uh, Tom, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Bob? Doing well. Um, I'm encouraged by some of the things that I'm seeing around the country. I am seeing some certain conservative-minded gover- governors. Ron DeSantis has already said it. I just mentioned Abbott, Missouri. There are others who have said there will not be uh, vaccine passports in their states. Silence from Columbus, however. What does that tell you? Well, I mean, listen, uh there's no question. I mean, if DeWine could mandate a vaccine passport all over the place, he would. The guy mm-hmm. is useless, and uh, we all know where I stand on DeWine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's one of the worst politicians I've ever seen, and uh, that's really saying something. That said, we do have some good news from Columbus. Uh, the General Assembly, which seems to really be finding its footing here, 
they introduced a bill on the vaccine passports. There's another one out there that they're talking about. But here's the thing. Uh, we've got word from here and there that one, that the real plan here is to push this on the private side. So we've got to make sure that these passports ban private the private use of a vaccine, or this legislation bans the private use of vaccine passports. That's absolutely critical. Now, are you saying, Tom Renz, that there is legislation already in the pipeline that is being considered in committees uh, in uh, the General Assembly? I just got word that a bill dropped, I believe, yesterday. Um, I haven't seen, I don't know whether it's in the legislative services or whether it's actually been drafted yet. Um, I know I've been involved with some of this. I know I'm very excited about it. I'm not opposed to anything I've heard, but I just want to make it real clear that I want everybody out there to fight to make sure that any legislation includes a, a block on private vaccine passports, because what they're going to try and do is say, well, we aren't going to ban this publicly, but, you know, I can't help what the private businesses do. Meanwhile, the private businesses are going to discriminate against people who don't have the, the capacity to take this. Some people are medically unable to take this vaccine, first of all. Second of all, the vaccine's not actually approved by the FDA. It's, it's still in the experimental stage, so it can't be mandated anyways. But what we want to do is we want to prevent these private entities from discriminating against people who choose not to take something that hasn't been tested. That's very important, uh, that part of it. Let, let me go back, though. Uh, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. You said that the, it's your understanding that a bill dropped yesterday. Not sure if it's drafted yet. Do you know anything about it? Does it do what you just said? Does it, this particular legislation that's wherever it is in the beginning stages of the pipeline, does it ban both public and private mandates uh, for vaccination in order to uh, use facilities and patronize businesses, et cetera? Well, so I got to see the legislation before it was submitted, and I'm not sure, like I said, I haven't seen the final drafting, so I want to make sure that people understand until I see the final language of the bill, I don't have a position on it. But the, the proposed language... Who's drafting it, Tom? If I may, who, who, who's drafting it? Uh, one, of the, one of the medical freedom groups in Ohio, and I know several of the medical freedom groups in Ohio are working on great bills, and I know some are working uh, on this. Uh, there's been two major bills announced. One is the one that I'm talking about that would ban all vaccine discrimination, uh, which would mean public and private. Mm-hmm. The other, I know, is a bill that is focused on preventing the vaccine passport. Now, the second one, the vaccine passport bill, um, they haven't yet stated whether or not it will ban private. And I've been a little bit concerned about that because I absolutely support it, and I support any politician who's got the courage to talk about this, but it's a red herring if it doesn't ban it on the private side. So I want to encourage the elected officials who already have the courage to speak out on this to speak out on it in a way that's effective, which means ensuring that these private entities aren't going to discriminate against people who don't want to take an experimental drug for a disease that is kill- that has a 99.9% recovery rate. We're talking to attorney Tom Renz, who uh, is the founder and leader of OhioStandsUp.org, and I will encourage you again to become a member, as I am, at OhioStandsUp.org, and also to click that red donate button in the upper right-hand corner. 
because it costs money to file lawsuits. It costs money to do the work that this group and other groups are doing uh, in order to restore our rights, our constitutional rights that have been stripped away during this pandemic by Ohio government. So we need you, seriously, for the cost of, Tom, you like to say it, for about the cost of a latte, for crying out loud, you can make a donation that is that could be the difference between liberty and tyranny going forward in this in this uh, state. So uh, we want to we emphasize that. To, to the specifics of this bill now, when, when you talk about uh, anti-discrimination, what, what does Ohio's anti-discrimination law currently say? Does it mention, we know that it, like the national, the federal anti-discrimination law, including what was passed in the Civil Rights Act, prohibits uh, government from discriminating against anyone based on race, religion, sex, sexual orientation, creed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. What does Ohio say, and does it include anything with respect to medical needs or or disabilities or anything that could cover something like a forced vaccination? Well, Ohio is an interesting thing because one of the areas that's really important on this is the Americans with Disabilities Act. And Ohio has actually a stronger uh, act uh, or set of protections for people with disabilities than the federal, I would say. But here's the thing. So this is my good buddy, DeWine, which I don't believe he does anything uh, that's unintentional. So he re- last last winter during this, or last maybe, was, I don't know, sometime recently, he just passed a change to that. As part of this whole let's protect business bill from COVID, they included something where, that seemed pretty good and pretty innocuous, but I, I about stroked out when I saw it. What they said was they said, that any civil rights complaint has to go through the civil rights commission before it can against an employer uh and possibly uh, yeah, uh, i believe against an employer before it can uh can you know go to the courts and the reason they did that i believe uh i believe that the people the legislative general assembly passed it trying to protect businesses the reason i think dewine inserted that language was he knew that he wanted these private businesses to be able to mandate uh, the vaccinations for their employees and make it harder for the employees to sue if they did that, which I think is absolute garbage. So, you know, at this point, that legislation's in place. And whether it was intended to do that or not is less relevant than the fact that it's there. So I think what we've got to do now is we have to send an equally strong message that, listen, you're right. You should not be able to sue someone if you go into a store and you get diagnosed with COVID. I mean, that, that which is ridiculous because I don't know how that lawsuit would work anyways. Good luck proving that. That said, uh, we also need to make sure that these employers and that these private entities understand that if you discriminate against someone on their vaccination status or try and force someone to take a, a vaccine that is uh, particularly a vaccine that is only authorized under an emergency use authorization, which means it's not approved and it's experimental, that you could be liable for it. I mean, you can't do that. We can't have people. This is what, here's what, you know what, they're going to excoriate me when I say this in the press because, uh, you know, God knows we can't, uh, we can't tell any truth. But, you know, Nuremberg, which is one of my, one of the most precedential legal things in history, uh, in Nuremberg, we made it real clear that what the Nazis did by forcing people to take experimental drugs was wrong. This drug is still experimental. And I'm sorry if you don't believe that. Read the EUA. I've read it. 
they did not test on on a lot of demographics. If you're a child and you're getting this, you should know that you're being experimented on. You get your child this vaccine, you're, it's an experiment. I'm not against the vaccine. I hope it ends up being safe and effective. But I'm telling you, everybody should know where it stands. It's an experiment. And until such time as it's proven to be safe and effective, which it is not right now, it's experimental. So we've got to, got to, got to make sure that people are getting informed consent and can say no to this vaccine. Now, I'm not against all vaccines, but this one is experimental. It was rushed through. We don't have a reason to know. We don't know whether it's safe and effective. And, you know, most of the side effects, according to my doctors, that are of greatest risk are potentially two years down the road. Why in God's name would you take, a, take an experimental drug for a disease that has a 99.9% recovery rate when we have no idea about the long-term impacts? And the answer is simply because you've been misled into believing that this vaccine has actually been tested and is safe and effective, which it is not. Well, the, the real answer would be, in the case that we're talking about, is that you were forced to. There may be many people who have the same beliefs and the same questions that you do about the safety of it going forward as far as long-term effects. And you, you're correct when you call it experimental. It's in the name. You're correct when you say it was not fully approved by the FDA. It was given emergency approval uh, because of the, you know, the fear that was being spread through the public and uh, the government needed to, to do something. And President Trump was part of that as well. We got to do this quickly. So the point here is mandating it, making it available to people who wish to take it, uh, with, with, whether they've done their own research on it or not. You know, that's one thing. Giving people the opportunity to take it, I'm all for that. If people want to take it without doing their homework or with doing their homework, good luck on you. I hope it works out well for you. But the idea that we can be forced to take it, either by the government or, in the case that you're talking about, if you don't take it, this airline won't let you on. The RTA bus, you can't get on. Uh, if you don't take the vaccine, you can't go to the ballpark. Now, I don't want to go to any ballparks anyway anymore <clears throat> after what MLB is doing. But I want the option. I want the option and to not be turned away because I haven't taken a government-mandated or forced vaccination. Um, you know, and, and the idea that, is, as you said, uh, Tom Renz, the idea that they can even ask you that has to be called into question as well. HIPAA laws have to apply. Nobody has a right to, to, to demand that I show them my papers, show them my vaccine passport, which is a part of my medical record, which is between me and my doctor and nobody else's business, correct? Absolutely. And I think you said it very well. I'm not opposed to the vaccine. Go ahead. If you want to take it, that's fine. Now, I do think that they have to, and they do under the law, provide in, need to provide informed consent, which means educating people about the risks. That said, if they do it, as long as they're doing their job on this, I don't care one bit. I should go ahead and make it available. Anybody who wants to take it, take it. Good luck. Um, the problem I have is there's, there's a lack of informed consent, and you cannot, absolutely cannot, mandate this, publicly, privately, or otherwise. It cannot be done. Right, and and that's the issue here. Uh, because, I mean, I, I tell people where to get it. I send people to Discount Drug Mart. If they're ready to do it, go register at Discount Drug Mart. You can get it done. Do your homework first and then make that decision. I will absolutely not stand in anyone's way. In fact, I will support their decision because that's the beauty of freedom. That's the beauty of a country that says you can do what you want to do, particularly when it pertain, it's pertains to your health. Because here's the thing, Tom. I'm a, I'm a believer in slippery slopes, all right? If the government can tell you you must take this because 
because of the health impact that it has. When can they then take the next step and say, you realize we're going to have to put a heavier tax on McDonald's or on soft drinks the way they do up in New York, in New York City. They talk about this. There's this health tax. We find this to be very unhealthy for you, and that puts a burden on the rest of the healthcare system, which affects all of us. So therefore, you're going to have to show us, uh, you know, uh, you know, some sort of record of your medical records of your daily caloric intake or your daily, uh, you know, weight gain or your BMI, any of these things. It sounds absurd. It does. I know that. But this is what slippery slopes are made of. If you can, if the government can force you to prove your quote unquote health standard by way of a vaccine passport, what's next? What are they going to be able to demand of you and require of you next in order to just live life, engage in commerce, travel and assemble in, uh, in places of your own choice? Well, and, you know, here's the thing. It's not absurd because a year ago, a year and a half ago, would anyone believe that we'd be having to wear masks and do this, that, and other? You know, you can call it absurd if you want, but here's the thing. It's happened. Look what's happened. We stood aside and said that, well, it sounds absurd. We're not going to worry about it. So, yeah. But that can absolutely happen. That's where we are. Our rights only mean something if we enforce them. We have to, have to, have to do this. You know, we've got to fight this. We've got to make sure our legislature, and God bless these guys, like I said, we got good guys who are talking about a couple of good bills. I hope they get it right, though. They've got to do the public and the private. And, you know, make no mistake, the, a majority of the businesses that were small and mid-sized have been devastated beyond words by this lockdown. We all know that. So guess what? Now you have fewer businesses to control. So you get these big businesses. You get your Googles. You get your airlines. You get some of these huge businesses that are pushing this. Man, it gets a lot harder to to participate in commerce, uh, you know, if if private entities, when there's only seven of them left, uh, you know, can do this. We don't need an oligarchy, uh, you know, that's based on a couple billionaires and their their multiple business interests. We need to actually get back to freedom. Let people have choice. Let people live their lives the way that they want to live them. And if that means you want to go get an experimental vaccine, by all means. If that means you don't, well, you sure shouldn't have. You should have the right to do that. Exactly right. Tom Renz, I appreciate your time as always, my friend. Keep up the great work with Ohio Stands Up. Keep us posted on the next court battles that you've got uh, set to wage. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, sir. Thanks for all you do, Bob. Thank you, Tom. Tom Renz, OhioStandsUp.org. I hit you again with it, OhioStandsUp.org. Please click the Donate button. Become a member, then click the Donate button, because uh, we need to fight these fights. We will not get our constitutional rights back from Mike DeWine by sitting there and waiting for him to grant them. We have to take them back. We'll be right back. Okay, it's 9.58. Short segment here. Um, didn't have time to get to this with Tom Renz yet, but an update on Ohio, just FYI, with respect to our fight to get our, um, our rights back. Big victory announced yesterday uh, in an Ohio court in Ashland, Ashland County. An Ohio court has now cast doubt on the lawfulness of the state's mask mandates holding that the governor and the Department of Health lack the authority to issue such mandates. The decision by Judge Ronald, wish me luck here, Forstafel, 
is what I'm going with here, forced the fell, of the Ashland County Court of Common Pleas, comes on behalf of the 1851 Center for Constitutional Law's client Cattleman's Restaurant in Savannah, Ohio. The court concluded that plaintiffs should not be subject to any further enforcement action over masks due to the following. Revised Code 3701.13 grants no authority to the Director of the Ohio Department of Health to issue or enforce mandatory mask orders since there is no stated or implied authority in RC 3701.13, which authorizes any action to prevent the spread of contagious or infectious disease. Two, the uh, Dina Saf or Ohio order, and again, my apologize. Oh, you know what? I'm an idiot. I thought I was reading some Latin words there. It actually just says dying safe. The dying safe Ohio order, uh, in this case, fails to accomplish anything scientifically demonstrable or otherwise corroborated with empirical data to prevent the spread of contagious or infectious diseases, even if the purpose were authorized by RC 3701.13. And finally, three, local health departments may not suspend restaurants' licenses for immediate danger to public health arising from mask violations because such danger has not been factually established nor scientifically demonstrated. So this is enormous. 3701.13, if you forgot, is the uh, old code that... DeWine and it used to be Amy Acton, uh, now uh, uh, Cloud, I think her name is, is the uh, health director. Um, that's the that's the old, ancient, essentially part of the Ohio Revised Code that they were using to say, we call all the shots in the case of a health emergency. And this is what they have used to put all of us under their thumb and to put businesses, you know, having the fear of God of it being shut down or fined or something if they don't enforce these ridiculous mandates as well. But this court, this court order, this court decision is extraordinarily important going forward. Maurice Thompson is the executive director of the 1851 Center and said, the court's order is further evidence that no statute permits Ohio agencies to over-regulate all Ohioans over an extended period of time, and that if one did, it would be a violation of the Ohio Constitution's separation of powers. The decision provides a roadmap for elected officials in other counties who ultimately maintain the power to uh, protect their own citizens from the state's arbitrary and continuous administrative overreach, since virtually all enforcement of these orders is undertaken locally. Very important decision by the Ashland County judge yesterday. And we can discuss that going forward after the news as well, right here on AM 1420.